Hey everyone, welcome to episode 28 of the Great Divide podcast. This is part two of our ongoing discussion of why the long face. And we are not going to waste any time. We're just going to jump right into where we left off in episode 27. And that is with the song Thunder and Lightning. Take it away, Svein. Thunder and Lightning. Uh, this is another very interesting one because do we finally have a genuinely happy song from Stuart? I think we do. Uh, this is a song I did not think that highly of to begin with. This one was a slow burner, but today it's almost become one of my favorites from My Long Face. And uh, it's about a man who faces an impending storm with a girl. They're facing it together. And he's obviously trying to give some comfort to the girl who seems to be worried about this impending storm. So the song lyrics are constantly saying, don't be afraid. This will be fine. We'll be safe under your big umbrella. We'll get It'll get darker, but it's been dark before. And, you know, it's just passing our way. And look over there, a blue horizon. So it's the kind of lyric I never expected from Stuart. And I just find it so refreshing and endearing. So uh, to me, it's a giddy song. It just makes me smile. Um everything's positive it's kind of like yes there's rain but feel the warmth of it yes there's wind but look at the color of it and it's washing down on us but it's like it will wash away all our sins and i i just cannot think of anything as unabashedly positive coming from Stuart's pen as this song and in my mind you know that could be cheesy it could vary into the too much territory but it's not too much for me it's not that cheesy it's very earnest and just positive and it just makes me think of maybe Maybe it's cultural. I think Norwegians are similar to, to Scotsmen. And we have this saying amongst Norwegians that there's no bad weather, there's just bad clothing. Meaning it's fine and even normal for people to go outside during a rain shower. Completely normal for everybody to have rain suits in their house for those occasions. Just make sure you're dressed for it. And a lot of people just love going for walks during storms and downpours. And I don't know if this is a Norwegian phenomena or even a Scottish phenomena for that matter, that it starts raining and then people will go out, <laughs> which uh, I know people from other countries have spoken to says, what? You really do that? And the same thing during winter when it snows, people go out because it, they go out to experience the elements, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So um, and feel more alive because of it. And I've done it myself, too, not necessarily in recent years, but I totally get that vibe from the song. And maybe this is a mentality you see in Scotland, too. So I don't know if that's one of the sort of where the song sprung from. So... Uh, Obviously, writing about elements and weather is not a new thing to big country, but this is a new take on that. In the past, whenever they wrote about weather, it would always be bad weather, and maybe even using bad weather as an allegory for bad things about to happen. So those songs were totally different in feel, more ominous, because the bad weather would bring destruction or life-death-like situations. This is not at all like that. <laughs> this is almost excitement on the part of the singer's viewpoint, and obviously some very on part of the girl accompanying him, but the feeling is that things will definitely be fine. There's no drama. There's nothing ominous. So compared with songs like The Storm, this one turns things totally on the head, which I like. But uh, I cannot lie. You know, I cannot deny that I like The Storm a lot more than I like Thunder and Lightning. And the ominous mood and sense of foreboding is a lot of the reason I do. And those are the songs I like the best about Big Country. But that still doesn't prevent me from enjoying this song for what it is. Both songs are about weather, but Thunder and Lightning doesn't try to be the storm part two. It's really a different type of song. So the storm 
is one of my all-time favorite songs ever by any band. And I can't really fault Thunder and Lightning for not being as good as The Storm, as that quickly means I have to fault just about every big country song in every album after that. So uh, I just need to take a step back from those kind of comparisons. So I just... Uh, musically the song it's very energetic i love how the drum intro just kicks it off and then the entire intro is played on the backbeat i love it and then the beat switches back to two fourths in the verses and then moves to the backbeat again in the chorus so they switch a bit back and forth and that's really cool and uh, again like a lot of the other songs there's a lot of nice guitar parts in the song just little tidbits and this is a general comment for this album uh I've never really listened to it on headphones before, but I did this week. And the playing, it's really good. It adds layers to it. There's a lot more going on than you thought. A lot of spice, lots of things tucked away in the corners. And there was a point in the middle of this song, I tried to count the number of guitar parts. And I think I found at least eight, which means there's a lot going on. And I never really realized it. And I just guess this album was mixed better than things like Steel Town, so it's not all just thundering straight ahead in the center channels. It's all nicely placed around. So that that was uh, that that just increased my appreciation for a lot of the arrangements on, on this song and several other songs too. Um, I think the song reaches a climax in one of the last bridges when he sings. Can you feel the And that last line, when I sing it, that's just, it's bad weather euphoria, really. So I just get goosebumps when I get that. It's really good. Um, (laughs) The last thing I'll add, just for your benefit, uh, much to your delight, I'm sure, the ow that you liked so much in Heart (laughs) of the World, it's back. I know you appreciate that. Thanks thanks for stealing my thunder. Yeah. It's it's just a short one in the studio version. It's right before the second verse. But when they play the song live, it's much more powerful and repeated from the intro and throughout the song. So I know you will prefer the live version of this song. So <laughs> uh, this is definitely a song that has grown on me over the years. It started out as okay, but today it's a song I've even dragged out the album to listen to this song especially. So that's uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, this is another one of Stewart's Owl songs, and if you know how much I love it when he goes, Ow! Just, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of that. It's it's kind of endearing, I guess, in some respects, but I, I don't know. I just never liked it. It didn't struck me as goofy. Um, but it, it strangely enough, it actually works in this song, because this song always had a had almost an R&B feel to it to me, which is kind of strange coming from big country, because it's still, it's still got big country sounds to it. It's still got a big country feel to it in a lot of respects, but... That uh, that chorus, when it when it goes into that that quick beat, it it just has almost an R and B feel, and I, I can almost I can almost hear the singing ladies singing on this song. I'm glad they didn't, but I can almost hear that they they could sing on this song. I can definitely not hear them. <laughs> Don't get too Stylistically, I think it. I think it would lend itself well to that. But you know, I'm glad. It, I'm glad they didn't because I don't like that. But and that and that gets back to one of the reasons that this is not a favorite of mine. It's just not. Um, 
there are a lot of things you said about this that I that I agree with. It's um, it is a jaunty song. It's got some some really cool guitar parts. It's got some great playing throughout. Uh, and it is. It's a very happy little little song. And I remember it took a lot of flack from some people. I remember um, specifically James Birch in All of Us writing a in that All of Us fanzine writing a, a really scathing review of of this song in particular. I think he was. I can't remember if it was a full um, review of the album or not, but I remember him really going off on the lyrics on this song. And I, I could see that on some level, but I, I, I like you, I'm kind of find it a little bit refreshing, especially after all the stuff that we've already had in this album lyrically. So it's, <laughs> we've, we've got the other side of Stewart, but, but you know, again, like I said, in the other songs, he can't resist, he cannot resist. He, he cannot let himself just write a, a perfectly, happy little song and and the one line that really makes that clear is when he says we shouldn't worry about being outside when it's dark on both sides of the door <laughs> i mean it's like there's no there's no place there's no place that's good so let's just not even worry about it you know that's kind of the way i always took that line and it's a great line it's probably the standout line in the song that's that's one of the lines that always stood out with me in in this song and sort of elevated the song um but yeah mu- musically i think it's, it's it's an interesting song. It's not something I would seek out, like you mentioned. I wouldn't go and say I've got to hear Thunder and Lightning today. Um, and, and again, it's like a lot of these other songs. It just really doesn't do much for me. And, and then lyrically, it's basically there's not a whole lot going on here lyrically. And and the storm thing is interesting, especially from the perspective that you described it with your own cultural perspective. But for me, it's a it's an overused cliche in music and, and in lyrics and I've been guilty of using it in my own music so I can't really talk too much but uh, it, the, the lyrics in this song have, have a little bit more of a cliched feel to them than some of the other lyrics in this album so that that's a strike against it for me musically it's not really I remember being disappointed in it when I first heard it I think it's one of those songs that over the years that I've come to accept the fact that Big Country has gone through all these different changes in their career that I'm, that I'm more willing to accept this song. But I remember at the time I thought, eh, this isn't really what I want from Big Country because you have to remember, and I've said this many times, with every album that they released, I was always thinking, please return to that Celtic sound. It doesn't have to be a carbon copy of the first few albums, but I just want that Celtic feel to come back. But over the years, I've definitely softened on this song. And... Um, yeah, I remember when this album came out among the among the email lists. It was kind of one of those songs that people would usually point to as far as something that they really didn't like, and cut mm-hmm. kind of like one of those stylistically one of those songs that they they wish Big Country would not do. But I I, I do kind of feel like it's a, it, it's grown on me over the years. So it's kind of almost had the opposite effect that the album as a whole has had on me over the years. This is actually one of those songs that I that I do kind of enjoy more than I did initially, but it's still it's still a mediocre big country song to me and both musically and lyrically. There's some, there are definitely some good things about it, but you know that part that you mentioned at the end, the the bridge section, to me that's an incredibly weak part of the song. <laughs> both yeah, both musically and lyrically, I think it's really weak. It's it's like musically it seems like there's just something about those chords that I just, I just, just doesn't work for me. They just seem really thrown together at the last minute. And then uh, the line about stars colliding and falling in on us, that's fine. But then like it's going to wash away your sins. That uh, just seems like a, a line just tagged in there that he was trying to come up with something quickly. I mean, there's nothing in that that would 
lend itself to anything washing away sins with and I know that this is taking it too literally, but I don't know. I, I never liked that bridge. That bridge always stood out to me as a really, really weak part of the song. So that we, we disagree quite a bit on that part of it. And and that brought the song down a lot for me. Uh, that bridge I thought was always poor, but the rest of it I can I can tolerate now. But it's still to me this song still falls in the lower lower levels of the of the album. I guess I just recognize the feeling you get from walking out in pouring rain not like you haven't ever done it but uh i when i come home after one of those walks i do always feel refreshed and uh, uh you probably do take it a little too literal it's um it, it's a certain refresh kind of the cleansing thing to go out in storming thunder and pouring rain so i just took that from it and i take a lot of the lines of the song in in that spirit so um no yeah i, I guess it's just one of the things it, it really works for me so there you go. We, we didn't expect to agree on everything anyway. No. Well, where do you have it? I have it as number six. Well, I've got it at number 12. All right. So actually, it should sound more scathing than it did, considering how scathing you were at number nine or whatever. <laughs> well, not really, because, I mean, like I say on all this stuff, it's like it's not like I hate any of these songs. It's not like I even actively dislike any of them. There, there might be a couple that I feel pretty strongly about, but, but most of this album is just like – no, Medi- but I'm thinking you, to me. I'm, I'm just thinking you dug stronger into song you ranked higher than Thunder and Lightning. <laughs> who, who can who can figure out my my ways? Nobody can. Don't even no. try. Just no, accept. Just accept it. <laughs> Deal with your own list and move on. Just accept that I'm an enigma. You've never said truer words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, send you. This this is a song that um, has some similarities with me for how I feel about Message of Love in, in some ways because there are some things about this song that are devastatingly powerful to me, and and that is the lyrics. Um, you you had that really interesting interpretation of of sailing to nothing about death, and to me this is almost Stewart's death song in a way Uh, that's kind of how i've always taken this song um maybe not thinking about it him talking about death so much but there are clear references to it and and when you think about what happened to him it's almost spine tingling to read some of these lyrics so the lyrics to me are a really powerful part of this song musically i've never liked this song i felt like it was a a plodding type of of song that just kind of really just plods along and there's only one part that I really always loved about this this tune and um, that is the Hey Kid part Hey Kid there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong Hey Kid the circus comes to town but must move on I, I love that part musically and lyrically um, I really like all the lyrics to the song, but musically, that's the only part that always really stood out to me and, and made uh, gave me that big country tingling, spine tingling feeling. I always just love that. I don't, I, I can't really explain why, but there's something about the combination there of lyric and music that just works perfectly. Unfortunately for me, the rest of the song does not have that that issue. Um, Stewart in the Country Club magazine says that he was setting out to write something that sounded like it came out of the 70s and. That, that might be part of the reason why I don't like it. I, I do like a lot of 70s music, but 
one of the songs that they referenced or one of the artists they referenced was Mick Ronson. And I never was into that kind of all the young dudes type of music. And that, that this song kind of does have that feel to it. Um, there's something about that opening chord progression that just, I mean, it just bores me immediately out of the gate. Uh, just the, the pace of the song, the, the instrumentation of the song, it just, it's Dollsville to me. It, it does very little for me. And that, and that is a shame because it really kind of keeps me from, keeps you, at least if someone has that same feeling that I do, it kind of keeps you from getting into the lyrics, which are really, really interesting. Um, and, and sad and, and very intense in places. I mean, just the, the chorus, I will send you a lullaby. You may not weep. You may not cry. What else am I going to do to keep this world from hurting you? It's kind of, there's kind of a sense of, of hopelessness that permeates the song. Like, uh, I don't know exactly who he's speaking to here. I guess maybe his own children, you know, you can think of, think possibly in some respects, but the, the line that always really stuck with me more after the fact than, than when this album came out, because it didn't really hit me the way it did until after Stuart passed. But this line is just really, the, the section to me has always been incredibly haunting. And that's, there's a time when all things slow, when no one else will come or go. When it's time, I hope to know the strength to let me let it go. And you could certainly equate that to him taking his own life. Now, maybe he didn't have that in mind at the time when he wrote that, but it's it's almost too much of a coincidence. I mean, and, and that's kind of like a line in, in one of in another song we'll get to down the road. Too much has gone on for it to ever be coincidence. And that's kind of how I feel about that line. I mean, I remember Mark Brzezicki talking in the recent classic rock magazine he said that only now he looks back on some of the lyrics Stuart wrote and he thinks wow he was actually almost crying for help in some of these lyrics and I never knew it I never noticed it and I I could be reading too much into it but I I don't think I am considering what he was going through at the time and just kind of the turn that all of his lyrics were taking around this time and, and only getting darker from this point really into driving to Damascus. I mean, a line like that, well, let me put it this way. I, I knew someone who took his life and he took his life, sadly enough, shortly after Stewart did. It was like two weeks later. He was one of my best friends. And this was not something that he did on the spur of the moment. He thought about it and he, he had tried it before a couple of times and it's something that he he was a lot worse off than than Stewart seemed to be around this time. I mean, he was he was really in bad shape for a number of years, but he had the same issues. He had alcoholism, depression, and he was, you know, unfortunately he didn't have any kind of uh, anything else in his life that Stewart did to to help him. But it was something that that he talked about, that he thought about, that he wrote about, and so I think when people do that type of horrible thing, I think it's something that they build up to over time. And when you look back at some of the things that they talk about or do in the, in the years leading up to that event, you can, you can see some evidence of what their mindset was. And I, I feel that way for this song. It's just the lyrics of this song just really touch me and, and, and move me and, and make me really sad. And I wish that I could relate to the music more to the song because the music to me just doesn't, doesn't really do those lyrics justice and and maybe that's the wrong way to put it but the music to me doesn't really have that kind of emotion emotional impact 
that the lyrics do. And maybe maybe that's good in a way because and maybe that was almost intentional because it's almost like the lyrics are camouflaged in this in the music of the song. And it's not like the, the music is upbeat and they're camouflaging what are really dark lyrics. I mean, the music is kind of dark as well, but there's just something about that traditional rock 70s approach to the music that doesn't do it for me. It's it's again, it gets back to me going back to this is not what I really like from big country. I know they can do this. They can do it in a way that's respectable and they can play their, their instruments well and they can do the style well, but it's not, it's not what makes big country special musically, but lyrically, this is what makes big country special to me. So it's, so it's one of those songs that I really, I, I go back and forth with um, musically. The song is a, a mediocre song to me, like so many of the other songs on this album, but, but lyrically, I think the lyrics here are special. And again, the Hey Kid part always touched me. And um, when you look back on what happened with Stewart, I think, I think this is one of those songs where he's sort of laying it out there for you. And, and it, it's, it's pretty much making it clear what kind of stuff he's going through here. And I don't think, it's, I don't think anyone should be expected to grasp that at the time that it happens. And I don't think probably anyone really did. But again, going back to what Mark said, when you look at this stuff in hindsight, it really is kind of chilling. So yeah, I, this song to me does rank low because of the, the music. Um, I rank it as number 11. But uh, the lyrics are so poetic and strong and powerful that, that I do um, give the song more attention than I would uh, if you just look at it from a musical perspective. So this is one of those weird songs, and it kind of is similar to a lot of these songs on this album for me. It's like there are parts of it that I love, parts of it I really just don't like and, and don't do much for me. So it's a strange animal to me, like a lot of the, the tunes on this. So it's kind of fitting in a way that they use so many animals on the liner notes. But um, yeah, so I give the song an 11, uh, number 11. But I, I have to say that with a caveat that the, the lyrics are really really strong for me and really interesting. So, hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's, uh, another song that has grown over the years more as I've reflected on a subject matter and it makes sense in my head. And uh, that makes it also ring that much more powerful after becoming a parent myself. So mm. I think you touched on this already. Uh, I totally see this as a song for Callum and Kirsten to comfort them after their parents divorced. The, to, my, to me, this is a song that's from Stuart to his children. And seeing how Stuart writes for his own kids and the extra emotional impact from just being a parent yourself, that just hits it all the more home. Uh, so when parents split up, the kids always always, always blame themselves to some degree. Was this my fault? Is there anything wrong with me? So Stuart counters this by saying, hey kid, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong. And hey kid, the circus comes to town but must move on, which alludes to not only did the parents split up, but Stuart was often out touring, not around, which is always hard for both parties. Uh, so he is offering some comfort from afar by sending them this song. And the chorus is kind of spot on about this. Like, I will send you a lullaby. You may not weep. You may not cry. What else am I going to do to keep this world from hurting you? So while he is gone, the best he can do is to send him this song to comfort him. But he's also alluding to that when the touring is over, then he'll be back. It's kind of like, see you after the tour. There's a place where all roads end. So I see that as when the tour 
when the road has come to an end, then a place where we can meet again. So I'm a bit less dramatic than you, but it's certainly open to many interpretations there. Mm. So, uh, so I'm not saying anyone's right, but it, it fits some of the th- thinking I had earlier. So, um, yeah, to me, uh, it's it's totally a message for, for Stuart's kids. And I guess musically, this is another one of the more straightforward songs of the kind that seem to take a lot of flack for just being straightforward. So I, I kind of anticipated how you would feel about the music. I'm not really surprised. And I, I can even understand it to some degree. It is uh, kind of a leap for big country to go into this territory. Uh, I don't really have a problem with it myself. I think there's something extremely likable about the melody. And... Uh, especially compared to the demo. This is one of the things they definitely changed for the better, is the way Stuart sings the verses. It's just a very interesting choice of melody. Uh, when yeah, they changed the verses completely for the studio version, and, and for the better. I would agree with that. Yeah, not the words, but the way he sings it. Right, right. Yeah, so he thinks there's a place for all roads and a place where we can meet again. If things begin to end, so he rhymes end with end. But the, the way he sings those words end, it's kind of like... It's it's a little funky. It's a, I I I just always like that. It's kind of a one of those things that makes it a little unique, makes it put their own spin on it. Um, the interesting thing again with the demo, which can be found on Rarities Three, is that it has an extra verse, which is not in the final version, and the lyric for that is. There's a time to start a new. At the place where our roads end, where I can be at peace again. again if you subscribe to my theory, which is this is a song for his kids, then that line or that verse wouldn't fit. It um, it seems to subscribe more to your theory that, uh, especially where I can be at peace again, is this the ultimate peace that you find in sailing to nothing? <laughs> so, so in line of what you were thinking there, that's kind of an interesting verse. So that was taken out. Um, mm, if that, that is were, interesting. Yeah, it, I think it is, and it's possible he the song had several meanings. I think by taking it out, I still feel it's mostly for the kids. If yeah. you leave it in, definitely there's something more going on. But the thing is, I mean, like with all these songs, it, it could be both. You know, that's the, and that's the thing. I mean, when when people, especially Stewart write songs and write lyrics it's not like they're necessarily putting out a a, a, a declaration of what exactly what the song is going to be about oh, I mean, exactly yeah so i'm sure i know definitely the kids thing always hit me too and the idea that it's about his divorce makes perfect sense and but and that could definitely and that's probably definitely is the case and then but that doesn't mean that the other things can't fall in there too so it's it's like a kind of like a mixture of all these different ideas that come into play and it's it's interesting and, and it's also interesting you know to look at these things from hindsight and maybe the lyrics maybe the meanings change when Stuart didn't even necessarily intend for a certain meaning but but it maybe was in the back of his mind or something so it, it's yeah mm-hmm. there are many different ways you can look at all these things and you know I think no primarily right or wrong way no exactly I think primarily if this is a song to to his kids then I think um, he wouldn't just put any old meaning in it. Like he wouldn't write right. about the end of his life in the same song as the message to his kids. But uh, you're right. You know, it's 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 not as clear cut as that. It can be a lot of things. But um, just to summarize, uh, I think this is a very simple and effective guitar hook. I think I think it really works uh, without necessarily being 
classic big country in that way, but it fits kind of a lot of what they're doing on this album. And uh, mm. again, I have to point out the great harmonies. I think this song has great harmonies, and it shows that they just worked a lot on it for, for this album. So um, for me, this song is a number five. Hey guys, Tim Eldred here. Glad to talk to you again. I'd like to put my view of Why the Long Face into a personal context. I bought the album in 96 when I was still a casual fan, and I listened to it casually like all the other albums. But then in 97, something really important happened to me. My first marriage ended. As you can imagine, it was a complex time, and I was feeling a lot of complex things. And I started to notice that this album was talking about those things. That's what really opened it up for me. And when I went to the other albums looking for more, I started finding messages everywhere, like gifts from a friend. That's when I made the crossing from casual fan to fan for life. The lion's share of those gifts came to me from Why the Long Face, with songs like Not Ashamed, Thunder and Lightning, and Send You, which didn't really appeal to me before. But in the darkest days of my breakup, it was like Stuart was speaking to me directly. I'm sure I'm not alone in that experience based on the number of people who also became fans for life. Now, someone who's been through a divorce knows what the aftermath is like, where you stumble through new relationships. And even if they don't end well, you can at least be grateful for the experience and the valuable things you learn. One of the things I learned is that when you fall in love with someone, you'll always love them at some level. And that's where one in a million comes in. That song became an anthology of my relationships. Each of the lyrics remind me of different women I was with at different times, and all the things I learned from them, including the woman who eventually gave in and married me. The good news is that marriage number two is still strong, and it's about six months away from outlasting marriage number one. So the conundrum that I discovered about one in a million is that it's symbolically about that single person who means everything to you. And one million is not a literal number, but since, like I said, the lyrics remind me of a lot of different people, maybe they are literally one in a million. There are over six billion people on the planet, and if you can fall in love with one in a million, that adds up to tens of thousands who could be special to you. That concept gives me as much comfort as the idea of one person who means everything. So what we have is a love ballad about the one and the many at the same time. Musically, I can never get enough of this song, either the album track or the demo track. I especially like the rising chorus, which I thought was a synthesizer, but maybe it's Mark doing a backing track. I had no idea before I heard you last episode that he was capable of it. So thanks for that insight. And by the way... One in a Million was played at my second wedding, so hope you don't trash it. Remain living. One in a Million. All right, uh, we'll start with a comment from Stuart about the song from Country Club issue 34, uh, where he said, this is about liking people for characteristics they might not recognize in themselves. It's about being drawn to people for the less obvious reasons. So uh, hmm. unlike some of the previous comments, this is relatively convoluted right there. But um, in other words, 
if only you could see in you the things I see in you, is what I take from that, which is a line from the much less revered song See You from the Driving to Damascus album. Uh, but yeah, one in a million. The playing on this song is imaginative and very playful. It's not a busy song, but it's very lively with lots of instrumental things going on all the time. And first and foremost, we have the return of the Ebo. What a beautiful intro. It's emotional, it's gorgeous. Uh, it's very welcome. Very, very, very good to have it there. And the song launches, and there's a very bouncy bass line. Tony is really playful in this song. Not like he's virtuoso overdoing it Steel Town style, but he will have all these nice little, little twirls, and I will often find myself humming the bass line in the chorus especially. It's very playful and catchy. And Mark is delivering some very emotional drumming on the song. That I also, I just... Uh, when scrutinizing the song notice but it's very nicely tuned in the background if you don't really pay attention you could miss it but it's mm -hmm. really good uh, but most of all uh, Stewart's vocal performance on this song is outstanding I think uh, I will go as far as to say this is his standout vocal performance on this album with this song and the way he harmonized with himself just listen to the entire second verse it gives me goosebumps that is just there Rush your lips across my brow Take this fever from me now If you know when, then I know how We met like a star over the ice Yeah, we met just like strawberry ice The music of this song in general, I think it's a perfect match for the lyrics. It's a blissful song. It's a very happy song, almost exuberant in some ways. And the words are that too, at least on the surface, even though there's clearly things going on here and there as usual. But even so, I don't really feel any deep darkness here. And uh, we will take a look at some examples. Uh, some words I always liked in One in a Million are the opening lines for a lot of reasons. And they also set the tone for the mindset of the song and what it could be about. So you have... I believe what I believe and hope that I am not deceived by little details I receive, for you know I never look twice, which are very nice lines that I always took a liking to them. And when I look at them now, uh, it always gave me a feeling that the song is about liking an ideal of someone uh, or being swept off your feet by a dazzling first impression. And then perhaps sticking a bit with that impression, because as he says in the song, you know I never look twice. So he does not care to check if this impression is accurate because that image works fine for him or maybe he's worried about looking but I don't really sense a lot of worry in this lyric so I, I don't have that impression but it's uh, certainly open for it uh, I feel on the contrary that the lyrics are ecstatic, this is a happy guy enthralled, overjoyed by just being in the presence of someone who makes him feel all giddy and it's very contagious I love the earnestness in how those lines are delivered, it's just totally there so I get completely won over and this touches on something we discussed for the journey album about how certain lines would rise above their potential with the right delivery and the right context i used the phrase i love you as an example and one in a million is kind of in the same category where i think the phrase in itself is kind of cliched people say it all the time oh you're one in a million it almost becomes a standard phrase and without that special meaning that it had to begin with. But when Stewart sings it in this song, he is channeling his inner Mike Peters, because I really feel the delivery. 
and especially in the setting of this song, it uh, it really works. Uh, in addition of the idolizing of someone else, there uh, there's definitely a strong desire here too, where Stuart sings, "Brush your lips across my brow, take this fever from me now. If you know when, then I know how. We melt just like strawberry ice." And now, can we at least agree this once that this particular portion of the words may be about sex? Uh, yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> it's definitely about lust, about really lusting for this other person. There's a very strong desire here. So it's and it's this section. It's not this song. So definitely, right, right. I'm not, I'm not going to go on a sex rampage this time. But I, was, uh, I would say that it could be. Whether it definitely is, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but definitely could be. Yeah, it's it's definitely about lust. I think so. Uh, there there is there is something there about the desire for this person takes a lot of shapes in this song, and. Uh, as you po- pointed out earlier when we talked about thunder and lightning, sometimes Stuart can't seem to resist himself. He wants to throw something in there that's darker. And there is this one line in this song as well where he seems to doubt or even throw out something that's his borderline mean, where he says, are you one in a million or just some baggage from my youth? And that is the brutal line of the song. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the meaning of songs like I'm Not Ashamed, which we talked about when the guy in the song married early and potentially they grew apart and this line seemed to be exactly the same thing. But it's such a strange fit for the song, which is just about all of the rest of the lyrics being about idolizing someone, not doubting, not looking twice. But here, there is this nagging question suddenly at the back of his mind. So uh, I would have preferred if the line wasn't there, to be honest, but it's to be expected with Stuart. Uh, but even so, I, th- I think this is a fantastic song. I-, I always had a gigantic soft spot for it. And uh, all the way back from... When I heard the first visit on the CD single, I felt this was a song with big potential, even though the first visit was clearly a skeleton. It was basically just choruses. The, right. the one in a million part plus the bridge which goes and there you are on and on and on and on inside my head like a whisper so you have the chorus you go to the bridge you go back to the chorus back and forth over and over again and it's cool to hear the song in process of being born but it's definitely lacking quite a lot compared with the album version because the verses are quite significant in the message they have the lyrics and how they fit with with everything um the interesting thing with the first visit is how some words ended up on the final version while others clearly seem like almost scat lines sung on the spot to fill a hole and some of those who didn't make it are fairly interesting like talk to me slowly and take some time hey one in a million another one of my perfect crimes hmm. it, uh, it definitely wouldn't fit the words that I later wrote for the verses so I understand that one taken out but then you also have well listen to this one here's the proof hey one in a million it's not like you're someone that I used it's <laughs> primarily a very crude lyric it signals good intent, like I was genuine, I didn't use you, but it's a very crude phrasing. Uh, but even so, it reminds me a bit about the baggage from my youth line in some ways. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they, they were taken out, uh, the baggage from my youth stayed in. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. And uh, I, I remember you mentioning that you actually prefer the first uh, visit in some ways. I do. Yeah, I actually do prefer it. Um as you say, I like this song quite a bit. There's a lot to like about this song and this version on Why the Long Face. Um, so saying I prefer is – I'd have to give that a caveat because certainly the, the 
the acoustic version, the first visit version, as you said, is very much a skeleton type of song. It, it's there. There's a lot that's not there yet, but the parts that are there, for for whatever reason, they touch me a little bit more than the than the crystal clear, pristine, well produced uh, studio version. And the part that always got me in that first visit version was what I guess you could call the bridge, even in that in that first visit version it was almost like a chorus and that's that's going to get bring me to one of the problems i have with the song in a minute but that on and on there you are to me that was just so beautiful and and done so beautifully on that first visit um version I remember hearing that and just being mesmerized by that, and they did it, I think, two times in that version, and I just thought, oh, that's great. And, and there was a good example, too, of where I think Mark's vocals really worked nicely, and for some reason on the um, on the studio version, I just find them a little bit too, kind of like what I was saying about some of the other tracks that we've talked about, I found them a little bit too high up in the mix and maybe a little bit too, like, like almost like he was singing a little bit too hard and I, there's something about that acoustic version where it's just so soft and subtle and and perfect i love the way that the background vocals go there and i, I really just um i don't know there's something about that acoustic version that that does it for me more emotionally now you get into the studio version and as you say the ebo was something that uh immediately grabs you as a big country fan i remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, ah, yes, because it had been a long time since we heard any Ebo. I mean, I think we talked about maybe there was a little Ebo running through the hostage speaks, but certainly none on the Buffalo Skinners and not a whole lot on, on Peace in Our Time. So it was great to hear the Ebo again and done so beautifully, not only in the beginning, but that outro section, too, is just fantastic. Yeah. And that outro section, to me, you know, almost makes up for any shortcomings that I that I find in the song. My only real problem with the song is what I guess you would call the chorus, and I just never thought it was a strong chorus, and I'm speaking more more musically than lyrically, although I, I do have to say what you've already said, that the phrase one in a million, I say this all the time, but I always judge a song or an album, you know, when I see the song titles, I, I immediately get opinions of what a song is going to be. So when I saw one in a million, before I even heard the song, I thought, ah, oh, is this really going to be the title of a song written by Stewart? I mean, that seemed like such a cliche. And it kind of holds true to the cliche a little bit here, but still, he does enough to, to sort of separate himself from using it in the standard way. And um, one of the main ways he does that is the line that you already mentioned, which is probably the crux of the song, are you one in a million or just some baggage from my youth? My problem with that chorus is that I just don't think it's a strong chorus musically. There's just some, it's basically just like one chord playing and it's got that bouncy little feel to it. I just, I never got into that chorus. I never thought it was really strong. And to me, that's where the song kind of fell apart a little bit for me. And then they pick it back up when they go back to the verses and to the bridge. But I just never really liked the chorus of this song. It's, it's, um, I don't want to say unimaginative, but musically it does kind of have that tone to me. Um, you've covered on most of this tune already. The one thing that I'll disagree with you on, though, is I really do see a lot of 
darkness in this song. I mean, and when I say a lot, I, I'm not going to say that it's overriding, but there are definitely some moments in here that make you stop and think because we've already talked about um, uh, what Stuart was going through at the time. And, and there are a lot of relationship songs on, on this album, a, t- a ton of them. And I think this is another one that's really dealing with his his wife. I mean, we know that he married young, and we know that he, at least from all indications, he was really in love with Sandra, his wife. And I think that comes right down to that line. Are you one in a million or are you just some baggage from my youth? And that is such a harsh line. And I think that's really depicting what he was going through, trying to figure out his place and what what must have been the d- dissolution of his marriage. But then we've got another line that's really pretty, pretty uh, difficult. And that is, um, it says, if I put my faith in you, put everything in place for you and have it all replaced by you, you know that I won't do it twice. I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of got some, some harsh overtones to it. And it makes it seem like I put my faith in you. I've, I've made a living for you. And now you're going to replace everything. I won't do this again for you. And so there's there's that little indication there, too, that not everything is perfect in this relationship that he's talking about here. And even in the first verse, he says, I don't have the time for advice. No, I don't want to hear your advice. So I would say that I would argue that there is more than just a little bit of of darkness in this song that goes beyond that line in the chorus. I think I think there are other things in here, too. Um but yeah, it's it's definitely and even even in the chorus, he says, "My one in a million, pleasure and pain." So he's he's going through this gamut of emotions that goes back and forth. So I I definitely feel a little bit of that in in this song where it's I'm not going to say it's as dark as some of these other tunes, but there's definitely a darkness in here as well that I found, find pretty palpable in some of these lines. Um, but yeah, musically, it, it's it's a beautifully played song. It's um it's a just great musicianship. But I, I, I agree to a point. I don't think it's Stuart's standout vocal track. We'll, we'll get to what I think that is in a little while, but it's definitely a great one. And, and Stuart's vocals, I think, throughout this album, we should we should give some really good props to it because I think his vocals are, are really excellent throughout this entire album. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a great song. It's, a, it's one that um, a lot of fans point to as, as one of their favorites. I think the only thing that mars this song for me and that would bring it down a few notches is the chorus. I, I'm not sold on that chorus, both lyrically and musically. I think uh, I think it could have I think with a stronger chorus, it could have been much more veering toward the classic type of uh, of rating. But with that said, I think it's better than a lot of the songs on the album. And um, it's one it's one of the better ones for me. But I, I just wish it had a stronger chorus. So how do you rank it? Okay, so I would rank One in a Million as number six. All right. For me, it's number three. Okay, God's Great Mistake. This is an interesting song in a lot of respects, but it's really, I'll just, at the outset, I'll just come out and say it. It's one of my least favorites on the album. It's not because it's a bad song. It's not because it's not really well played and and everything else, but it's just, for some reason, the song just doesn't ring true to me. It doesn't really connect with me. Now, there are some great moments, and when I first heard this song, the, the opening portion, 
I got chills because number one, it's got that Celtic guitar playing that I really have always had always wanted Big Country to return to. And boy, you couldn't get a better example of it really in the opening of this song. I mean, you've got a great classic Celtic guitar line. You've got Mark's marching snare drums, and you've got something else which I thought was awesome, and that is the Pogues playing tin whistle on this. Now, I'm a huge Pogues fan, so when I saw that, I was excited, but then I, re- I went back and looked at who actually was playing it, and it was no one that I recognized. So apparently it was like these guys who were just in the Pogues briefly um, without going into a Pogues history lesson. There was a there was a time period around this time when Shane McGowan had left the band. They were being fronted by someone else in the band named Spider Stacy. And they had some different members coming through the band. And I don't have the liner notes in front of me. I'm sure you have them. You can maybe say these guys' names when you get to James this. Mc, James McNally. Okay. And I, I don't believe they were original members of the Pogues. And no. I think I think they were like filling in at the time. So it wasn't really as cool as I had hoped it would be. I was hoping maybe Spider Stacy himself was playing the tin whistle. But in a, in a way, the tin whistle was so buried in the mix that it doesn't even really matter anyway. But it was kind of a nice little – Nice little thing that they had the Pogues playing, and I remember thinking that was cool. Two of my favorite bands being aware of each other and and knowing what each other was doing. So we've got that great intro, and from there the song just deteriorates for me. Um, it really this song has always really reminded me of a, as a precursor to the President Slipped and Fell, which is another song that I'm not incredibly fond of. It's got those same types of lyrics where Stewart almost is it, it just seems like he's trying to be a little too clever at times where he's talking about certain things in society and he's trying to make um, certain comparisons of things. And we even have an, a mention of Elvis in this song as we do in, uh, in the president slipped and fell. And it's got kind of a bluesy feel to it as well. And if you go back and listen to the demo of this song, which I, which strangely I prefer, I listened to it for the first time today in a long time, but it's like a, it's like a traditional blues type of song, but it's done in that, big country way. This song, the, the things that are, that are there that are really things that you can hang your hat on it and appreciate is the musicianship for one um it's got some ferocious musicianship it's got some it's got some cool guitar parts uh in throughout the verses there's some some cool kind of ominous little guitar things happening that are they're very interesting to to hear and when i've seen them play this live it was cool to see how the interplay between bruce and stewart and how they actually played these parts uh, they're just really neat little parts um but I just never was really into the the, the, the lyrics of this song. Um, it was one of those things where – and we touched on this in the beginning of the, these episodes where you read that quote of Stewart saying that he was going to experiment more with not not really trying to write these more weighty abstract themes that he had done in the past. He was going to try to experiment with making things smaller, and, and we get that a lot in this song, especially in lines like – I write to the weather map guy who doesn't have much hair, but he's got a matching tie. And it's, it sounds so close-minded of me, and I recognize that, and I completely admit to that. But I just remember when I first heard that line, I just thought, Ugh, that's not what I want from Big Country. I don't want them to, to make themselves small where they're talking about these types of things. And I, I know the overall 
the overall scope of the song and the overall message of the song is is large in scope. But just something about those types of lyrics, I really wasn't used to hearing from Stewart, and I didn't really like them at the time. Now, over time, as I've grown to accept all this and, and can look back on the entire catalog, it's it's much less jarring to me. But at the time when I first heard it, it was kind of jarring to go from you know things like uh, lyrics to, from songs like Belief in the Small Man and that type of thing to lyrics like this. I mean, it was really different, and you can really see that Stewart meant what he said what he said when he said he was going to experiment with this type of lyric writing. So you can't fault the guy for wanting to do something different. It just really wasn't what I wanted to hear. Um, I think the other problem that I always had with the song was another problem that I had throughout a lot of this album is that it's a little bit too, it veers a little bit too much towards standard rock and roll to me. It's the Celtic feel of the intro is so powerful that I was just kind of let down and disappointed when it veered more into the traditional rock and you've got some like seventh chords being played and almost like a funk type of feel in, in places now the the guitar solos that Stewart does throughout the song definitely has more of a celtic tinge to it again and then there's a section in the middle of the song where it really does sound very big country-esque I think lyrically, it's it's certainly uh, an indication of a lot of the religious type of questions and and things that Stuart was writing about in this song. In fact, we get to them in other songs as we go go through this album, and we've even touched on them a little bit in songs like "Sailing to Nothing." I think there's a lot of religious imagery that goes throughout this this album, and I think when you look back on Stuart's life at trajectory at this time, he really was. He really did seem like he was getting more into that and starting to think more about it and questioning more about it. And, of course, that, that only built up more and more throughout the rest of his life, toward the end of his life. But um, I, I remember actually on the on the email list at the time, there was like a big argument that broke out around this song between people who were really religious. And they took great offense to the fact that Stuart would say that God would ever make a mistake. And they were like, you know, why would – I don't like that Stuart is writing this. And <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. But um, – but then you've got lines like, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he's meant to be, which is an interesting line. But then you get the line, I believe a living Elvis will soon appear on my TV. So it's almost like he's saying, I'm, I must be crazy for believing that Jesus Christ is who he's meant to be. So it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, it's like, yeah, I might believe in Jesus, but I also believe that there's a living Elvis. So it's kind of hard to gauge his mindset on this, on this song, really, um, other than the fact that it's it reminds me a little bit of Chester's farm in a sense too both both the way the music is approached and the overall feeling of of mankind just kind of destroying itself and musically the other song that this reminds me of a little is long way home and i guess maybe that's another reason i don't really take that well to this song because i've never been a long way home is probably one of the few songs on buffalo skinners that i'm not incredibly fond of and Again, it's not because I can really point to anything bad about it. I can't really point to anything bad about this song, but I guess what it all boils down to is it's just one of those big country songs that was big country presenting itself in a way that I really didn't want from them. And I wanted – it was almost too much of a tease. It's like they teased the, the return to Celtic form in the beginning of the song, and then they went right away from that. And then they came back to it a little bit throughout the song, but then they went right away from it. So – I guess that that kind of always put the song in a in more of a negative light for me on this album. So I, I admire the musicianship. I admire that quite a bit. Mark Brzezicki is going crazy on this song. Um, 
and it was a good opener, I think, too, for the for the Why the Long Face tour. But it's just it's just a song that never connected with me, and I just don't really. It's it's very low on my list, actually. So, not a favorite of mine. Yeah. So where other people saw the Celtic beginning as uh, throwing them a bone, you saw it as merciless teasing. That <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. I saw it like, oh, I'm because you know when I first heard, it, I was like, yes, that, this is going to be an awesome song, and then. They kick into like the funk Red Hot Chili Peppers sound, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> oh, that's taking it a bit too far, but it's uh, I know, is... and I admit that, you know, I admit it, but I, I just, you know, what can I say? Yeah, but there is an interesting observation to be made that this is actually the first co-write on the album. This song is written by Stuart and Tony. Oh, interesting. So uh, this is very much Stuart's album. I said that to begin with. He writes ten of these songs on his own, so this is the first co-write, uh, and. I'm not going to read too much into the co-write, but the, this song definitely has a very driving bass line. And uh, I would not be surprised if Tony came in with that bass line and built that song around it. It just feels that way. Well, that's interesting why it reminds me of Chester's Farm then, because that a lot of that sprang from a Tony original. So that's, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I managed to dig up a couple of comments about this song from Stuart. And I'll take the least interesting first, which is from uh, Country Club where he said, I wrote this one while I was living in America. It's about the natural tendency for the human race to self-destruct. We see much better at all the bad stuff. It seems to come more easily to us than doing good things. And then we have a more interesting comment, which is from the official Big Country website back in 1998, where he commented on this song. And he said, I am not by any means a renowned theologian, more an enthusiastic amateur, fascinated by the history of Christianity and its marginalization of most free thinkers. I was coming from the idea that maybe our civilization had gone the route of one of those visited with the full wrath of the Old Testament, Yahweh, and was living in the pre-apocalyptic era. I realize it's hardly pop song material, but I love to take what is initially a quirky little idea and make it into a wider thing. So, um, hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that that's that's pretty big from a enthusiastic amateur, if you ask me. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. So um, another interesting observation: we actually have three versions of this song. We have more than any other song out there. We have the album version, we have the demo version from Rarity Six, but we also have a very early and different version, which is on Restless Native and Rarities. And I will. Uh, yeah, see, that's the one I was referring to because I I don't remember the one on uh, Rarity Six. Maybe I missed that recently. Yeah, that one is closer to uh, to the album version. Okay. And it's interesting in a couple of ways. I'll go through them in uh, in turn. So the only lines that appear in both the very early version and the demo version and the album version is exactly the thing you mentioned. I believe that democracy is meant to keep us free. I believe that Jesus Christ is who it's meant to be. I believe that Living Elvis will soon appear on my TV. So those, I don't know if they're meant to be the core of the song, but those are the lines that survived. Hmm. They are in every version. Uh, so on the album version, definitely the howling guitars are the perfect musical accompaniment to those lines. It's clearly the climax of the song. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Izzy having a go. I think it's obvious. He is mocking people who believe what they're told without bothering to investigate or find out the truth for themselves. Right. And, and what really sells those lines is that Stuart puts so much passion into them. So when he gets to the punchline with Elvis, it just hits you. Um, it doesn't seem like a piss take before he gets to that, you know, especially with uh, the Jesus reference, with, which, uh, you know, how can that possibly be like <laughs> fit, fit, fit the following line? So, so that's, uh, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, one of the great things about Stuart's voice is that he sounds so earnest when the lyrics seem to be clearly sarcastic or cynical. And he has that, well, what I call earnest sarcasm, which Stuart is so good for, and especially the 90s output, he, he would utilize it very often. And uh, the prime example of that is, I always think of a line from Eastworld, where he says, airwaves talk to me deep in the night. I trust the voice of Radio Free Europe. So he, <laughs> he just did it. It's exactly the same thing. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned a lot of the songs. So just, just to go to the version on Restless Nidio and Rarities, uh, what he says in the liner notes to that album is that this was done at chapel on the same session as normal and um he seemed to have taken a melody from folk music that he grew up listening to and put heavy and dark guitar sounds to it which is something he liked doing uh, i have no idea where this song would stem from but uh that take is very different So the demo on Rarity 6 is much like the album version. It's got a really sinister intro. So there's no changes to the lyrics, there's no changes to the structure, it's just basically they use a few things over, but that that's the song. So um, yeah, I'm not going to labor much more because you did it. I like the song a lot more than you do, but it's uh, it's in the middle for me. I, I rate it at number seven. I've got it at number 13. All right. That's pretty low, man. I know. But let's keep in mind, too, that for anyone who's angered by that... <laughs> um, I'm going to put on my diplomat hat now, but a lot of the songs that we're going to get to, they're very close. I mean, so it's hard for me to say what's 13, what's 14. There are a few songs on this album that I really like quite a bit, and then the rest are really grouped closely together for me. So it's not like a 13 is really that much far removed from an 8 for me. So take that for what it's worth. Mm. Yeah, yeah, me too. There's, I think each and every song I could change some order. I mean, this is in many ways the hardest album I ever had to rank, apart from number one and apart from number 14. All yeah. the others are shifting. Hi, this is Klaus from Chile. So, why the long face? Well, as the joke goes, after listening to the record, you know the answer. Um, this is a very mediocre album, and uh, additionally it's a successor to Buffalo Skinners, which was a very strong and powerful album. And I've at least got my hopes up that the uh, the band is back to form and I was thinking that now comes the next step in the same direction and uh, what really comes out is this collection of uh, uh, radio friendly bland songs I think um, Stuart is lyrically really at his worst here uh, which is a pity because this, the, most of the songs seem very personal but you know lines like um, tired of this fight you come to me and it's alright really uh, there are some exceptions. Uh, for example, I love the lyrics of uh, Wildland in my heart. I think they're very clever. But on the other hand, on this particular song, the music uh, does not convince me. I think it was in the Bruce interview um, 
when it came out that the uh, original A&R man thought that uh, the songs needed more work and I think he was very obviously right um, so in conclusion this album for me was a major disappointment yeah, your, your podcasts are not and I'm extremely grateful for that so keep up the good work and take care So, Wildland in my heart. This is a very interesting song. It's a song with a lot of nostalgia in it, which is something that I really empathize with. I am very nostalgic myself. I, I seek out things I liked when I was a kid, and I, 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 I'm definitely one of those myself. So, in this song, uh, my take, and there's not a lot of doubt in my mind, Stuart is thinking back to when he was a kid and when he was watching shows on TV. So each of the verses refers to a TV show or a movie from the 50s or 60s. And I can just imagine a young Stuart sitting there in front of the TV all wide-eyed and excited, taking in all these classic adventure shows. So uh, this is a song where he recalls being swept away by all these adventures and they fueled his imagination. And that's very interesting because these shows very likely gave him some baggage that helped him as a songwriter to kind of to the big ideas, the evocative ideas. So this song is perhaps giving back a bit by being a tribute to those shows from his youth. And most of the shows mentioned in this song should be familiar to most of us. I certainly know of Lassie and the Lone Ranger. And uh, there's a reference to the Magnificent Seven. So each of the verse mentions, mentions one of them. And the one I didn't know, and I needed to research here, that um, is the one referred to in the first verse, where Stuart sings, Kathy came home and no one cared. Uh, that is from uh, the title of a movie, a BBC TV movie called Kathy Come Home, which was made in 1965. It is apparently about a working class mother who suffers under an uncaring government, which is a much more serious choice of entertainment than the others. Uh, I think the TV characters mentioned in the rest of the song were courageous, heroic figures. So uh, they didn't just provide a fantasy escape for the viewer, but also created a wild land inside of him where he could nurture these ideals of justice, bravery, heroism, escapism, all these things. Uh, but the song is not just an unabashed celebration. There is a main message of the song, which is repeated several times, and that is don't look back. Uh, things are not turning out good for the childhood heroes in the song. And as mentioned, Kathy came home, but no one cared, <laughs> which is kind of sad. And then Lassie got loose, made it home, but nobody had telephone. Nobody missed Lassie. And the Magnificent Seven returned, but no one cheered. And they were, in fact, not welcome. And the Lone Ranger is finally lone because Tanto got married and went home, which is kind of a funny line if you think about it. <laughs> but the moral of the story seems to be that sometimes it's best to remember things as they were. So you don't look back. The memories of something you saw as a child will usually be better than the actual show. Uh, and it's said that if you go back as an adult and try to watch the same shows, a lot of them will actually seem very sappy. But still, as Stuart says, it was very exciting to him then. And he said in the song, I would have followed them anywhere, which uh, always is a line that just, it's a make me smile line it's a give me chills line it's a I, I identify with this line it just shows the devotion that these show inspired and i love that line it's my favorite line in the song so i 
totally connect with the emotions behind this song. I think it's a fantastic song. It's definitely one of the, my favorite on this album. And I feel just like Stuart does in a lot of respects. Uh, I would change the shows he mentioned for the ones I watched as a kid, but the sentiments are exactly the same. Except that I actually do look back. I can't resist looking for the things I loved growing up. And I have made it my life's mission to collect all the shows I loved growing up. And I take some sort of pleasure in watching them with my son. So that's, uh, which is different than sitting on your own, reliving it. But, but, I'm, but still, I'm exactly uh, the same. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us are, but there is still some truth to the don't look back. I know what he says with it. But uh, yeah, so that that's very interesting. And I think definitely the song works for me on some other levels as well. Uh, I mean, when I first heard the song and before the concept of these TV shows dawned on me, things like, the chorus would just leap out before I sat and took in the other stuff. And I thought of it in terms of uh, it could be a relationship or not a person where he would think back to how that person created a wildland in his heart. But for various reasons, he can't look back. And that interpretation would certainly fit one of the themes on this album about relationships that lasted then ended. And there's still a part of me that thinks about the song in those terms based on how I just took the song and the song's role in a personal experience that I, of, of mine. So, uh, and, and that's, um, well, that, that, that is what it is. I know that it's about the TV shows, but you know, it, you always remember how the song first hit you. So there you go. That, that's why I'm in my heart. I, I just love the song. I, di I didn't mention the playing yet, but I, I can leave that for you perhaps. Okay. Yeah. I won't spend a whole lot more time on it, but I, you summed it up well. Our feelings are very similar on this one. Um, I have maybe a couple little minor quibbles with it, but getting, getting that's usual, of course. But uh, they're they're more musically related. But getting back to the lyrics, uh, yeah, very nostalgic song. Now, for me, the way I always took this song, and actually, first let me go back to when I to my whole title thing. When I was perusing the titles for this album, and I saw this, I thought, yes, now that is a fucking big country song title. And that is what I was – I was so excited about this. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> Wild Land in My Heart. You got, it doesn't get more big country than that. I was so happy to hear – to see that song title. So I knew this was this was probably a song that was going to appeal to me. And and sure enough, it did. I, the, the lyrics are excellent. Um, now, you're, you're probably completely right about how this is re referencing his childhood and that type of thing. I chose to to interpret this song as a, as a listener um, – as how I viewed Big Country. That's kind of how, how I thought when I listened to this song. I was thinking of that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to remember at the time, and, and we've always gone through this, but at the time it was really kind of new. I mean, a lot of us fans who were so dedicated to the band, we were we wanted them to succeed in the worst way possible. We wanted them to return to dominance on the charts. We wanted people to accept them, to love them the way we love them. And it was, it was hard to see them falter over the years from from you know toward the end of peace in our time on on through even buffalo skinners was kind of a, was certainly a return to form artistically but it maybe didn't quite get them back where they wanted to be and and we just really rooted for them so badly and and i, I carried a, a hurt inside in a way for the for them not being more successful because i thought they deserved it so badly and they and they they should have been more successful and not and even beyond that um, it even also goes back to what I've said before about what I wanted them to be selfishly, you know, what I wanted them to to return to, how I always wanted them to get back to that more Celtic feel that I love so much. So I, all those emotions were going through me when I heard this. And it, that's kind of how I viewed this. It's like 
you get a lot of sense in this song of people that were once considered great and then they return somewhere and things aren't quite what they used to be and especially get that feeling in the magnificent seven reference it's the seven returned and no one cheered we don't think you're magnificent around here it's almost like you can imagine the seven being surprised at this reaction and i always kind of looked at big country uh thought about big country in that line like they had done so much they'd achieved so much and then their careers had kind of faltered and a lot of the people that loved them were kind of waving them off and you know they were thinking what's going on here um but i also really thought about my own experiences with the band and my own feelings when when we get to the chorus sometimes i think of how they were right at the start when they made a wild land in my heart i mean what a perfect line to summarize that feeling in a big country fan who really not only wanted them to be successful with whatever they did but really wanted them to return back to the sound and the style that made you love them so much to begin with. And I think if, if I would have, if why the long face would have been my first exposure to big country or even Buffalo Skinners. Um, well, let's just stick with why the long face. I think I would have still really liked and admired the band, but I, it wouldn't have been nearly the same. So back then as, as I've gone back and re-listened to these songs and try to get myself back in that mind frame that I was back in 1995, I really remembered how strongly with each successive album, I wanted them to get back to what they had done before. And they kind of did it with Buffalo Skinners, and I was so excited. And then this album was a bit of a letdown for me because I didn't think they followed up on that. And so when I heard that line, that to me was me thinking about Big Country. I remember when they created A Wild Land in My Heart. I want that again. I don't want to hear songs about bald weathermen. I want to hear songs about these big themes. And as I say, as I say every time when I say this, I know that's selfish. I know that's closed-minded, but... It, it, I was thinking of a of a metaphor to describe this, and it's very crass, and I apologize if it offends anyone, but it's like um, if you if you get a shot of heroin, and you're used to the high that heroin gives you, and then someone offers you um, some much less uh, intense drug. And now, by the way, I've never done heroin, but I'm just wondering. It, it's it's hard for you to to accept anything other than heroin. <laughs> so I mean, the early big country was was just the ultimate high for me. So I always wanted them to recapture that. So, and at the same time, don't look back. Exactly, exactly, and that and that's a good piece of advice throughout this. Don't look back. Keep going forward. And and I did look back. Like you, I was nostalgic. I wanted them to return to this, but I certainly supported everything they did, and I found found all kinds of great things to say about whatever they did, and loved things about whatever they did. Um, so that's really how I took this song. I I think it's a beautiful song. In fact, um, when I also share your view that th those lines in that bridge are the best lines. And I, I'll be honest, when I heard those for the first time, I, I teared up. My uh, tears came into my eyes because I felt so strongly that this was capturing what I felt about big country. At the time, you know, I'm a lot older now than I was in 95, so at the time when I heard that, I must have felt like I was getting old. But um, lines like, you know, I was young, I didn't care, I would have followed them anywhere. That's how I felt about my allegiance to big country. And and it just had such an intense um, impact on me, those lines. Not just those lines, but the music and the guitar playing there. The, the That that bridge especially is, is like a return to the classic big country sound because you've got 
Mark playing like the snare drum, and you've got these great guitar lines. You've got the muted um, staccato-y guitar things going on. That's all stereotypical big country. And then you've got those lyrics. It just it just killed me. Um, so musically, I think the song is is quite good. There, there. The only thing that I would that I would that I always had a problem with with the song is I think musically it's also got some moments that are just kind of a little bit dull, a little bit boring, and I'm thinking of the main riff that da 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 da. That never quite knocked me off my feet. I always thought that was a little bit too um, AOR type of feel. It, it just a little bit too traditional rock type of feel. I think it's played a little bit too often in the song. I think the the outro when he just keeps saying "Don't look back" and that's played is a little bit boring. Um, I, I, I admire the slide playing that Stewart does, but slide in big country music has never been my favorite thing. Sometimes I can I like it more than others, but so that's a little bit of a knock against it. But it's still it's it's a very strong song. I think um, I'm not going to say it's a, it's a masterpiece, but I think in relation to this album, it's definitely one of the better tunes. Uh, I think the lyrics are great. I think the playing and the structure of it could be maybe tweaked a little bit to make it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more dynamic. But that bridge section just does me in every time to this day. And uh, that gives it major points for me. So wide land in my heart for me is number four. That's pretty good for you. That is. I would have thought you had all 14 songs in the lower half. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them got to be up there. They they have to. They have to force themselves. Okay, so for me, this is one of my best ones. It's number two. Great. All right, everyone. So that's episode 28 of The Great Divide. That's all we have time for right now. We will be picking up where we left off once again in episode 29 with our conclusion of the Why the Long Face trilogy. We'll be getting into some interesting tunes and some interesting messages in that episode, including a discussion, our discussion, of the very divisive charlotte a very divisive song on a very divisive album so it should be interesting so stay tuned for that it should be coming up relatively soon and uh also um there's still time to enter our yuletide competition but there's not much time left as of this recording we're going to be recording that episode here in the coming weeks so if you haven't entered our competition yet please do so it's for the in a broken promised land seven inch and to find the rules for that which we have tweaked a little bit to make it a little easier please uh, go to our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for The Great Divide Podcast. Or you can email us at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com and we'll clue you in. And of course, this is all dependent on when you are actually listening to this episode. I mean, if you're listening to this in the distant future uh, in relation to the time that we are actually recording this and you are busy trying to survive from the uh, dictatorial rule of our new alien overlords, then of course... Please disregard this, and uh, obviously the competition is no longer in effect. So um, just use your best judgment on that. In any case, we will be back very soon in, with episode 29, our conclusion of the Why the Long Face trilogy. Hope you've enjoyed it. We've uh, gotten great feedback from it, and we've enjoyed doing it. So we'll have the rest for you soon. So in the meantime, take care. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.